This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hey, so this is part two of our conversation with George Rohack about comic book publishing terminology. Uh, As I said in our previous episode, this conversation got away from us a little bit. We had a very long list and we were bound and determined to get to the entire thing, which we did. So uh, if you haven't already listened to part one, you should probably do that first, as uh, we do frequently refer back to having already talked about things, and that'll be very disappointing and irritating for you if you listen to these in reverse. Also, I once again want to apologize. Uh, This was actually the first recording session that we had for this podcast, and as such, we were still ironing out some technical problems and also getting used to being recorded. So the audio quality isn't amazing, and also there is not the best possible discipline about being careful with the mics and the table and hitting the mics and hitting the table. Uh, There's also some exciting street noises from time to time. That said, it does get much better after this episode. And also, I think we've cleaned it up to listenable levels. So please enjoy our deep dive into the lingo of comics publishing. We're going to have to be disciplined here. And do like speed round for these specialist terms because we could spend. We are going to spend an entire episode just talking about rights. Yeah, so cool. we're going to talk about these very quickly. Do the one or two sentences. And some of these we've talked about before. So you want to start out, George? Sure, sure. So I think I can hit some of these pretty quickly. Advances and royalties. So an advance is you sign your contract with a publisher. They give you money in advance of the book being sold. Sometimes you get that advance on signing. Sometimes you get it uh, after you turn in the book. Sometimes it's a combination of the two. Royalty is the money that the publisher pays you after there have been sales of the book. Uh, Your advance, of course, is known as an advance because it is an advance against said royalties. So if, you know, you were supposed to get a royalty of, you know, $10,000, but you had an advance of $10,000, you would get a royalty of $0, like, at that point. Yeah, so a thing people talk about a lot is that whether they have, quote, earned out as a shorthand, and that they will often be very excited about if the answer is yes, because Mm -hmm. what that means is you have earned enough royalties to equal your advance, and now you will start getting paid again. Correct. And you won't get royalties of just $10,000. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's not like the book goes out into the market and $10,000 come in. The royalties are worked out on a book-by-book basis. Yes. So rights versus permissions. So uh, rights and permissions are related to what you can do with the IP and what you can do with the ancillary things related to the IP. So whenever you give the publishing rights to the publisher, that means that they have the right to publish it. Um, But you can also give, as we mentioned very briefly earlier, you can give them the uh, right to foreign license. Hard when you say give here. You sell. Sell, sell, (laughs) sign away. Have Um, a contract that specifically outlines every single instance of this. Um, uh, So... And film rights are another kind of right, like the right to make a... Correct. Me- media rights are a whole other big thing. Don't give away your media rights. Yeah. Uh, Merchandising um, rights, the rights to make t-shirts. Mm-hmm. But then there's also some stuff like for serial, which is like, you know, perhaps the New Yorker would like to publish five pages of your book before it comes out. Uh, that, that's, that's a, a right, right as well. Mm-hmm. And then permissions is slightly different. Uh, so then per- what happens with permissions is that lots of people... If your book is amazing, we'll come up and be like, I'm writing an academic article about this, or I am, 
you know, including it in this, you know, book for educators, or I want to make it the cover of my book about whatever, or this magazine. And so permissions is either you saying like, this is totally fine. Here's a copyright line to use on this. Or you can charge people on a per use basis to say, oh, you're going to put this in your, you know, academic work. I would like you know, you to pay me $50 or you to pay me $5,000. The important thing is they have no ownership of that thing. You're literally just giving them permission to do this one thing. That is a contractual relationship as well. Option. Option is um, almost exclusively related to media rights. And that's like film, television, video games, that sort of thing. And the option is, hey, we are going to um, pay for the right to like, make this into something else. Basically, we're going to buy everything else out except for the publishing contract that you have with like your publisher. Usually that's how it happens. Sometimes it can be for just like, we're just going to buy it to make one movie or we're just going to buy it to make like one show. It depends on the size of the thing. Correct. Um, But yeah, that is, uh, that is referred to as an option. It varies wildly. Like television is paid out on different schedules from like, you know, production. Usually they're all set on like milestones as to like when and how things are happening. The distinction I like to make when I'm talking to people about this is that like the word option is, not arbitrary like they're not necessarily going to do it they're, they're, they're kind of putting a pin in it they're like we're paying you a bunch of money so that you can't sell these rights to anybody else Correct. for a per- period of time and usually the option is for like a set period for yeah. like a year or five years or 10 years or or infinity if they paid you a lot of money yeah and, and, and that's why normally the payout schedules are like you get x amount at signing you get x amount whenever like a like script has been written. You get X amount whenever like a production team has been put together. Yeah. You get X amount when production starts. You get X amount when editing commences. You get X amount whenever it's and like you might not even negotiate all that stuff when you get options. You might literally just be signing like we're a production company. We think we might want to make a movie out of this, and we certainly don't want anybody else to. So we're paying you right. five to fifty thousand dollars for the right to spend a year figuring this out. Right. And the thing is that within that, like, and I know we said we were only going to do one or two sentences. Sorry, but this is, sorry, sorry. But, this is a really big one. Yeah, yeah. So, like, w- uh, one thing with options is that uh, typically, like, within an option, if you're working with somebody who's not the immediate person developing the property, if you were working, like, with a producer or, you know, a set of agents, within that option, like, A, an option, they are going to pay you a chunk of money for the option. Um, within the option it's going to say how much they are going to pay you for those things. Mm. Now, a thing with an option to note is that if those people who bought the option go to Disney or Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers is like, this is an amazing idea. We're going to pay you $3 million for this idea. But your option was only for $100,000. Those producers and owners of that option just pocketed $2.9 million because they then pay you the $100,000 that was agreed upon in the option. Um, increasingly, a thing that we're seeing um, within, the, within the industry is something referred to as a shopping agreement, oh, which is yeah. well, usually it's a producer or like a writer or a director. And they're just like, hey, look, I really like this. I want to have like, you know, the exclusive or semi-exclusive like uh, rights to like run around on your behalf and try to get like interest in the development of this. But if I do, then what's going to happen is you're then going to sit down, like in good faith, sit down with these people and try and negotiate out a deal. If it doesn't work, that's fine. If it does work, I'm going to be attached as, you know, producer, director, whatever. Um, 
And yeah, so the, the thing is with a shopping agreement though, money doesn't change hands in it, like in the beginning. Yeah. And okay. it's up to you to negotiate the amount of money that you get paid. All right. So back to books. Uh, the next thing we're going to talk about is submissions. Submissions is what's generally turned, uh, referred to as all the stuff, the books, the graphic novels that people send to publishers and say, will you publish this? Literally everything. And then slush is like a subcategory of that, which is unsolicited submissions, oh, which yeah. is a term I that you hear a lot, where it's like, uh, if a publisher takes unsolicited submissions, this is just everything that has been mailed in. It's usually the publisher has not asked for this. And usually, I feel like usually a submission that comes with an agent is not put into the slush category. Contract. George, what is a contract? <laughs> it's a, it's an agreement. It's that simple. Okay, good. We're done. We don't need to talk about it anymore. Um, no, I, I mean, literally, like, you can go in depth, but a contract is an agreement that states out clearly what both parties are going to uh, do for each other and what is expected of everyone and what happens if, like, expectations are not met. Like, that is it. Everything should be in the contract. If somebody promises you something, if something, you know, is agreed upon, like everything should be in the contract. At, like if possible, sometimes due to dates and arrangement things, you might need to do an amendment or just, you know, have things included. But um, for all intents and purposes, you should not um, just take like handshake. Oh, yeah, no, don't worry about this. Oh, no, it says that, but we'll really, it says X, but we'll really do Y. No. No, the contract is meant to protect everybody involved, yourself included. Correct. Um, And it's also meant to protect like the publishers and people you're working with. So it's like, you know, make sure it looks good and make sure. Always read it. Oh my God. Yes, read it. If at all possible, pay a professional to read it for you. Yeah. Even if you're not hiring an agent, even if you're not like literally just pay somebody for like an hour of their time to read it. Yeah, there's there's actually a ton of arts, um, uh, funding for legal teams like there's a few organizations in a ton of different states that will do pro bono hours of like cursory reviews. and again we're going to do an entire episode about all this stuff but. yes but it is our official position of this podcast that if you are publishing a book with a publisher you should have a contract yes absolutely <laughs> even yeah. e- honestly honestly even if it's just your pal especially if it's your friend like like there's there's some really great very simple boilerplate contracts which we'll get into in just a second that are very very basic and just outline basic obvious stuff and you can just both sign it and then if one of you gets hit by a car or one of you starts to hate the other person or any number of other things you don't end up in a really bad spot yeah uh so boilerplate is that's just like the it's yeah. it's like ad libs, but for contracts, yeah. like it's like the base, the baseline standard mm-hmm. contract, and usually every imprint will have one. Well, not every imprint, more like every every publisher will have one. And yeah. you know, so if you're working with a publisher and you're like, okay, you know, we're going to do this book, they'll probably send you a contract, and the contract will be what's referred to as their standard boilerplate, which outlines all the things that they generally give to everyone. And that's something that you can negotiate back on and say, actually, I want X instead of Y. I want this worded differently. I don't want to give you these rights, etc. This term is important to different to to really emphasize, like, you don't have to just sign the thing they give you. This is a starting place, and almost everybody ends up changing at least something. Yeah. Because a lot of boilerplates have weird stuff in them, especially for comics. Like, they'll have stuff about how you can't sell things yourself. And if you're a cartoonist who wants to sell things at shows, you might want to be like, um, can we put something in here about how I'm allowed to sell? Like, and you can put a number on it, like X thousand copies of this book or whatever on my own because I want to be able to exhibit at MoCA every year or whatever kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, copyright is a very specific part of the whole rights issue. 
Yeah, that's um. You do you own the IP? Do you own the thing afterwards? Um, and that's goes back to that whole work for hire, creator owned uh, aspect. Like if you own it, then you keep the copyright on it. Which means you know, even if you gave the publisher exclusive like publishing rights for like the IP forever for some reason you signed a contract with that, but you have copyright, then they couldn't you know make merchandise. Uh, unless you had given them that right as well. Um, so then after all of this stuff, this general stuff, talking a little more specifically, the first version of your book is going to be a draft or a manuscript. Um, you know, so you, you start out, you have a rough pass of things, that's, that's your first draft, then your second draft, etc. You know, it's not necessarily finished. It's kind of the preliminary stage of making a book. You have a draft. You are but then you start script. amending words onto it, like final draft, for instance. Indeed. I mean, like I'm done with this now. Uh, why, why is why is the word manuscript used? Because I feel like it. I don't know if there's a reason to use that word specifically, or is it just a a word that people like to use um, to mean the chunk of thing that we're publishing now? Yeah, I mean, I feel like draft is something that you use when you're specifically talking about passes. When you're talking about first draft, second draft, third draft, tenth. Draft, final so draft you have work. drafts of the manuscripts. Yes. Okay. Right. Manuscript is the thing itself. Got it. Um, so once you have that draft or the, your manuscript, and we're going to talk more about agents later, um, but what you may want to do is package it up and write a query letter. Yeah, this to, is a very specific term. Uh, to an agent or manager or publisher saying, I have a draft of my book. Would you consider publishing it or representing me and uh, working with yeah. other publishers? And the query publisher. is almost always going to be your first communication with an agent specifically. And, and different agents have different policies for querying, which will be on their website. But usually is like a letter with a brief summary and like the first X number of pages and some information about yourself. And then you're querying, like, are you interested in this book? And then the agent ideally will be like, yes, send me the rest of your book. And then you kind of get into but the query is just very specific term for like pinging agents. And you can query hundreds of agents, like potentially, like it's not like an exclusive thing. It's just, it's a very casual, very low commitment, very early part of the process. It's just a word that gets turned like tossed around a lot to seem worth mentioning. So once you have a book and it's with your publisher and you are at a stage where you have a draft you feel confident with, uh, there's a stage called line editing. And line editing involved, it doesn't happen for every book. You know, it's something that's dependent on what the editor feels is necessary. But a line edit involves the editor going through the book, literally line by line, and saying, you use the word heartbreaking twice on this page. Perhaps you would like to change one of these to a different word. Copy editing is literally like grammar and spelling and like actual mistakes. And line editing is like, the feel of the yeah. thing. Yeah, it's a stage that you do when you're like, this book is great and it's like just about good to go, but like let me just do a last pass to make sure all the words are the best possible wor- versions of the words. All right, Kilfi. This one's a big one. George, I kind of hope you've never had to deal with this one. But. <laughs> yeah, Kilfis are um, basically set up for, oh dang, things went bad. And uh, they can go either way. Um, I've seen them for both like a kill fee for like the publisher having to pay the creator. I've seen kill fees for the creator having to pay the publisher. Um, that's usually it's basically like this has gone south and somebody is paying somebody else money in order to kind of terminate the deal. them for their time. Yeah. 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 So revisions. 
just as a concept. Indeed. So when you turn in your book to a publisher, a publisher may be like, this book seems great. I have some suggestions and thoughts about different ways to do things. Um, so depending on the publisher you work with, you may have a stage that may take two weeks. It may take a, a year or two where you go through the, the book and work to make it better with the, the publisher. Yeah, so revision as a concept is basically just fixing. Yes, it is also a thing that, depending on your publisher, can be outlined in your contract, where your contract can say, like, reasonable revisions include, or, you know, two passes of revisions will happen, up, or up to two passes of revision. Yes, yeah, so revision is the thing you're usually doing in response to being getting notes on the thing that you've done. Yes. And they can be really straightforward, like, this person's hair looks weird, can you change it? And it can be, can you rewrite this entire book? Yes. Uh, we mentioned before uh, Foul Matter, um, which we, George and I, talked about a little yesterday. Um, but so when you are past the revision phase and you are... Wait, 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 say that again? Foul matter. Spell that. Uh, it's not like the bird. It's F-O-U-L. Okay. So this, this is one that, I'm sorry, to people listening to this, this is one that got added late in the game. So I completely have no idea what this <laughs> yeah. means. Please educate me. Um, so when you are at a stage where you've done your revisions and your book is being designed, um, an editor will generally have a, a printout or a PDF of a pass of the book that they'll review and you as the author of it will also review. And so then that comes back and lots of changes get made. And then there's another pass of the book, which the editor will review to make sure that everything looks good and all the changes get made and you'll also review. And then, you know, usually there's still some more changes. And so there can be a number of passes of this where you kind of go back and forth and you do the copy edit. So the the old passes that are no longer useful at this point, like the first pass when you're on the fourth pass of this is called foul matter. So previous drafts basically. But it's not a it's not a draft, it's just it's like the edit corrections. Like it's the old edit corrections. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, the, the other term that you'll sometimes see with this is uh, uh, dead matter as well. Um, These are and, good. Yeah, it's yeah. So dark. Yeah, it's it's, it, it's just like, you know, because I have just like I used to have, and I, I call them like, because I was precious about them for a long time, I would have, you know, the four, five, six revisions of like a book, like the amount of uh, passes of like Scott volume six that I still have to this day because that's very precious to me is uh, crazy. But um, yeah, there's like, you know, just between the different copy editing passes and things like that. Yeah. Aww. Sometimes there's good stuff in there though. Yeah. But one nice thing that they wrote, in addition to all the things that you had to fix. <laughs> okay, book clubs and book fairs. Um, this is a, once your book gets published, there are a number of different organizations that will sell your book that aren't either bookstores or, I mean, schools don't sell your book, but bookstores or chain bookstores or Amazon um, or comic stores. Um, one of them is book clubs and one of them is book fairs. Um, so a lot of people would be familiar with the Scholastic Book Fair, I think is the most famous of these probably. Yeah, but the, like, there's a... Book club, I'm sorry, A rather. classic, like, science fiction book club sort of thing where book clubs are your school or yourself get a, um, like, information and you basically subscribe to get books or you pick out different books that you would like from the list of books that they order. Book fairs are things where an organization will come to your school, come to your area, set up a lot of books and be like, here are books and you can buy them and then they'll go away. So they're like a pop-up shop version of a bookstore. 
there's specifically a whole school market that um, Scholastic is part of, but there's a lot of other independents that do this as well. And this is important mostly because when you're reading your contract, often payment and things work differently for book clubs and book fairs than they do for other stuff. So it's one of those things where like it's it's a subcategory that'll show up in your contract. Yeah. And just for clarification, the reason being is that typically book clubs and book fairs are sold at a deeper discount. Yeah. So that's why they'll be like sometimes a different pay rate for you. You'll get lower royalties for one time. But the idea being you'll sell way more copies of your book because it's a curated sub part of the whole catalog. Mm -hmm. Like not every book that gets published is going to end up in a book in this book fair. Indeed. And when we talk about deeper discount, we mean lower price. Correct. Sorry. Uh, okay, and warehouse is literally just a giant building in which books are stored until they get sent off to mostly distributors or yes. wholesalers. Distributors, wholesalers, most publishers that also have warehouses will do independent store orders. Um, but this is important to know because usually every publisher will have a warehouse or will have a, an arrangement with their distributor where they warehouse their books with their distributor, which means that if you, like, email your publisher and you say, terrible problem, I'm going to FlameCon tomorrow and my books didn't show up or my house got flooded and all of my books are very damp. Can I just like pop over to your office and pick up 50 copies of my book? Probably your publisher does not physically attach to their warehouse. Um, Their warehouse may be with their distributor, maybe in another state. It may be far away they may not have like the key to the door even if it's pretty local so sometimes your publisher will be like oh yeah i just happen to have 50 copies of your book on hand but often those books are in another physical building that has another specific staff that basically spends all their time shipping things i've had to call that phone number Uh, you have to have like an id number number or something yeah uh, we will ship you books um and this is important because that's how if you have a book published with a publisher this is how you're getting your like in your contract someplace, it'll 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 probably say about you, whether you can buy books from the warehouse for a certain amount of money, and it's like this whole thing. So if I wanted to sell books at a convention that my publisher isn't going to be at, I have to call the warehouse on the phone, basically, and they're going to, they will ship them to my house. It's magical. Yes. All right. Um, on sale date, we talked about briefly how, for instance, Di- Diamond has a different one than... Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Uh, so there's... there's- three different terms to talk about when we talk about on sale dates. Um, The first one is the release date. And that is the date that your publisher starts shipping out books to people. Uh, Because it turns out for your book to go on sale, it's not the sort of thing where, you know, you mail the books to the publishers on Monday and then the books come out on Tuesday. There's a whole like system where you have to send the books to the distributors and then the distributors have to send books to all the people who buy books from them. So, uh, the release date is the date when you have kind of worked all of these logistics into, um, I will start setting up the books right now. And that way, by the time it hits the on sale date, or which is also called the publication date or the pub date, all the people, all the stores will all have those books. So a lot of time when you see a really high profile book have like leaked stuff online, it's because that store often will have had that book for a week or two sometimes before the actual on sale date. Like yeah. it'll have been sent to the bookstore already and then sometimes one of their employees will open the box and take a picture of it with their phone in the back room, which so, they're not supposed to do. Bringing Harry Potter back into this conversation, oh my God. there are some books that have a, a hard on sale date and the direct market is basically all hard on sale dates where it's the book come out on a specific day and you're not allowed to sell books before then. 
That only happens if you're a comic store and getting books from Diamond, or if the book is Harry Potter, or various versions of Harry Potter, but less popular than Harry Potter <laughs> books. If you are a normal person, stores can sell your books as soon as they get their, your books yeah. in the mail and their book shipment. Yeah. So that means like you could go to a Barnes and Noble a week before your on sale date and the books could be there and on sale. Or if you go to your local independent bookstore, the books could be there or on yeah. sale. And that's totally fine. The on sale date is just meant to be um, a marketing date where you can celebrate that the books are officially now on sale everywhere. And your quote unquote book birthday. Yes. Yeah. All right. Backlist versus front list. So backlist, <laughs> I just want to point out that George just gestured to Gina for that one. Yes. So backlist and front list is just a way to talk about how recently your book has been published. Um, usually the front list titles of books for a publisher are the books that they've published in the past year or that they're going to be publishing that calendar year. Uh, backlist books are books that the publisher has published in the past and those are books that sometimes are still really popular. I mean, you can look at something like Scott Pilgrim, which we talked about a little, or like Watchmen or any of these things, which are kind of perennial titles that still sell really well, but that are not having a like exciting new renaissance of material right now. Does the term backlist only apply to things that are currently in print, or is it literally everything the publisher has ever published? It can go either way. Okay. Briefly, in print literally means it is still available from that publisher. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when the book is in stock or in print, then the warehouse has stock or distributors have stock that they will sell to people. When it is out of stock or out of print, that means that the warehouse doesn't have stock. If it's out of stock, that generally is a specific term that means that uh, the publisher printed a certain quantity and ran out and now they're reprinting. If it's out of print, that means that the publisher is not printing anymore. So you might still be able to buy it because like a bookstore could still have a copy of that book, but the, it's no longer in the warehouse. This is very important because this, again, will turn up in your contract and it has to do with rights being released back to you. So for instance, if your publisher goes out of business or just decides not to print your book anymore, there's very specific things that will probably be in your contract about what counts as out of print and what doesn't and whether or not you can take your book to a different publisher. So the, this it's, it's actually weirdly super important. And I know multiple people who have gotten very badly done by not having good protections for their book going out of print. Going back to backlist and frontlist, um, when you have a frontlist title a book that's being published in this year, um, publishers generally divide up the year into three seasons. Um, the seasons are winter, spring, and fall. There's no summer. Summer is part of spring. And these are basically <laughs> subdivisions of the year that the publisher artificially imposes so that they can say, we're going to have a catalog that is not a day-by-day -day catalog for the year or a month-by-month -month or a week-by-week -week catalog. We'll have a, basically a group of books that we'll be thinking about at the same time. We'll put them in a catalog. We'll send them to our sales reps and they'll all kind of be in this date group together. And this is important. You'll usually encounter this because somebody will talk about how their book is coming out, like spring 2018 or something. Yes. And it's like that they're not just referring to like the calendar season. They're usually referring to like the publisher season. Yeah. So that could be May or it could be August. <laughs> it's, you know, whatever. It's fine. Reprint is just like your book got printed again. Um, Very exciting. It's different from a new edition of the book. It generally is just like 
That's we true. ran out of copies of this book. Now we printed the exact same thing over again. Yeah. Um, you know, Scott Pilgrim is something that has had multiple editions. So like the um, the Evil Ex-Boyfriend editions are not a reprint of Scott Pilgrim. They're an entirely new thing. Yeah. So um, that would, how you'll tell the printing, uh, like what printing it is on the copyright page, there's a line of numbers typically. How it's arranged is different based on publisher, but uh, the like lowest number is what like printing they're on. And typically when a publisher does a reprint, they just, it's called a strike off. They just strike off the lowest number and it all gets reprinted. Um, usually it isn't like a time for a ton of changes to come in, but that is when they would make minor edits if something had been missed. So this is something I don't actually know if you've ever had to personally deal with returns. Yep. So returns are within like the book market, uh, especially whenever like Barnes and Noble or someone gets books, they don't cut you the check for them. They have a period of time, depending upon the distributor that they bought them through to, uh, you know, have the books and then they can return them. Um, and uh, if your publishers deal with your distributor, we usually have like, hey, we'll accept like this many damages in terms of returns or this many returns in total. Um, but those are like a negative balance off of like estimated earnings typically. So like usually if you get a, a statement and it's like, hey, you know, like this many went out to bookstore and we're paying you this much. And then we have the returns that those show like how many returns got in, um, which will typically just be that negative from your uh, like bookstore. Now payout. back up for a second. Literally, what is a return? Uh, books were sent back to the distributor. Or in the case of some like traditional, traditional like uh, book publishing, uh, books were just pulped. Um, oh, like thing, like the publisher just went, well, we don't want to deal with things going back to the distributor. So just tear the covers off, send the covers back to us in an envelope. And then, you know, you just throw them out in the trash. So if, especially if you've seen an old paperback and it says something in it, like don't buy this book without its cover. Yes. It's because the, yes, it's because the bookstore tore the public cover off and sent it back to the publisher as a return. And got because it. Because it literally wasn't worth paying the shipping to physically ship it back to the publisher and then they sold it anyway. Yep. Yeah. So returns are a part of the trade book market that's not part of the direct market because Correct. Diamond sells to most of their stores non-returnably, which means that, you know, they buy those books and they get them for good. Which is why sometimes you get really deep discounts at comic yeah. book stores because they otherwise literally have to throw them out. They either got to sell it for 50 cents or they're throwing it out. They can't send it back to the publisher. But basically, most bookstores, independent bookstores, chain bookstores that are buying books from a publisher are allowed to return them and say, you know, this didn't sell, so I'm going to send it back. And this is this is a system that has, like, really good points and some bad points. One of them is, you know, sometimes you get lots of books back, but it also lets stores say... I'm going to take a chance on this author and this book, and I would usually buy one copy, but I'm going to buy 25 copies because I think it's awesome, and we're going to try to sell it, and sometimes they do sell 25 copies. Or if it's like a giant chain, they might be like, I'm going to buy several hundred or several thousand where we don't know if we're going to sell them quite yet, but we suspect that this book has potential. And then remainders. And this is a term that just indicates... Um, Actually, you always forget this one. Uh, when a book is out of print, then sometimes there's books still left uh, in the print run, you know? So you'll be like, okay, so we published this book. It was back in year 2000. 
It's now selling one copy a year. Oh, jeez. This so, is breaking my heart, even this hypothetical. Know, it's such a sad thing. So you're like, this book is selling like one copy a year. I think we're just going to put it out of print. But at that point, you might have 500 books in the warehouse still. So usually at that point, the author, this is all negotiated in your contract. So there's specific terminology for that you should look at your contract. The author usually gets emailed to say, we're books going out of print. We're extremely sad and sorry about this. Um, you know, we have 500 books. Do you want them? They're available to you at this specific price. And then you can buy them if you want. Um, but then there's a whole remainder market where they, people sell these books to bookstores and chains as like extremely low price books uh, because they're, they're no longer like, okay, this is going to be sold at the general discount. It's sold as a, um, you know, a low price bulk buy, basically. Sorry. It's the, this is perhaps the saddest part of this entire, like your poor sad book, like 75% off cover price. All right. We're almost done. Now we're getting to the really nerdy stuff. Uh, we already talked a little bit. Of, we talked about jacket versus case. Again, mm-hmm. jacket is like a slip cover, basically, that yeah. folds around the hardcover, and a case is like the physical cardboard Indeed. thing. So mm-hmm. now, yeah, now we're going to do the book parts part of thing. Yes. So, I'm sorry, I got, I got ahead of myself. ISBN. Uh, ISBN is... Do you know the, what it stands for? Oh, God. Uh, international... Blah, 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 blah. I don't remember. Um, standard, book number? Standardized book number? Yeah. The, I, I'm fairly certain. International Standardized Book Number? That's um, what it is? Gene is Googling it right G, now. Yeah. The ISBN... International Standard Book Number. That barcode that's on the back of pretty much everything you buy. Above it is... It used to be a 10-digit code. Now it's a 13-digit code. <laughs> is uh, what designates for computers and those warehouses and all the things you talked about. The ability to tell that your book is your book. Um, in the States... Boker is like the main agency that you acquire your ISBNs from. One thing to note is like the the origination, um, the numbers stand for different things. So the 978, because they can be used for different formats. It's not just used for just books. It's also used for media. Um, so uh, 978 is the signifier uh, for bookland. Um and that is what is used for all books. And then the following uh, four numbers are coded for what the publisher is. But I didn't know. Yeah. And yeah. then the next, I think, three numbers are specific for a book. It's just like, you know, like this one book has this code within that cover publisher. This has another code. And then the last number is a math number, which is an equation based on all the other numbers in your ISBN. That's like a check number to make mm-hmm. sure this is a valid ISBN. Yeah. And if your book is being sold in a bookstore, it should have an ISBN or a comic can, book store. Like, and if you're self-publishing, you can buy ISBNs. Like yeah. my self-published Kickstarter book has an ISBN number. Like it can be worth doing, especially especially if you have any aspirations for like a normal store carrying your book, because it's what the it's what they're going to scan if they sell mm-hmm. it. It just makes it logistically easier. Of absolutely nothing else. Yep. Um, and also, you know, if you're putting it on Amazon or something like that, it's like it makes the computers happy. All right, CIP, this one I did not know until Gina told me. Yes, so another exciting form of uh, number and identification for your book is CIP data, which is catalog and publication data. So generally, if you have a publisher, your publisher will have a system to send your book to the Library of Congress. And if you look on the Indicia page, which is the page that's like 
this is the copyright of the book. This is the publisher of the book. Here's the publisher's information. Say that again, Indicia? Indicia. That's so fancy. That's also the page that George was talking about before, which is the page that has that printing. We like, we just call it the copyright page. We're like the plebes here. Anyway. Yes, Um, yes, I'm sorry. So if you look at that page, it usually will say something like, this book is on file with the Library of Congress, and the Library of Congress has designated it to be a book about, like, adolescent anxiety and homelessness or whatever, and it will have a, a short description. So that's the CIP data. Um, there's also a version of that data that can go in your book that doesn't say the Library of Congress has designated this to be a book about homelessness that just says the Library of Congress has this in their catalog and it's like in queue to be cataloged. Which that is referred to as an just an LCCN number, uh, Library of Congress uh, control number. Um, so typically to do CIP, that is um, not always, but it is usually uh, reserved for publishers that are doing more than 100 titles in a year. Uh, and so it's a direct connection that they can use to acquire these numbers and the cataloging, whereas the LCCN numbers are smaller publishers that after it's been published, they submit it and then a their record gets updated digitally uh, for what that information is. And then if the publisher wants to on reprints, they can go back pull that information from the Library of Congress and include it in future printings, but the first printing will not have that info. All right. Now, opposed from the indicia, this is going to be like my new money word, uh, page, there's the title page or half title page. Yes, the title page and the half title page are actually two separate pages. Mm -hmm. So the title page is generally going to be the page that has the title of the book. It will probably also have your name as the author, and it may also have the company logo. That one sometimes has cute spot art on it. Sometimes, yeah, it depends. Um, And then depending on how many pages your book has, if there's space for it in the book, there may be a page that is two pages before that that just has like the title in your name and doesn't have that like logo and spot art information. So a lot of people have that in comics, especially because it gives them more space to sign and do a, a sketch on. Um, but at the beginning of your book, there's generally going to be a page that has the title of your book and your name and the company logo for your publisher. Uh, which is called the title page, so that people understand once they open the book what book they are reading. The next thing here is paper stock, and I love talking about that endlessly. I could go on for days. Um, I mean, you uh, talked about it briefly before, like yeah. you know, toothy versus glossy versus... Yeah, yeah, and so... So it's like literally the kind of paper that you're printing your book on. Yeah, and it radically changes how inks take. So, you know, uh, really bright, really, really bright poppy books are pretty easy to print on, like, toothier stocks. Like, that's the stuff you'll see, like the um, cat in the hat kind of like books uh, uh, like printed on. It's like a really toothy stock, usually pretty thin, but like bright, vibrant colors show up well. But darker colors and like, you know, kind of like subtle shading will get just washed out because the paper just soaks up the ink. Um, So yeah, it's something really important to uh, take a look at whenever you're considering what you want to do for your book, um, like the types of paper and whatever printing. There's different textures, Mm -hmm. there's different glossiness, there's different colors. Mm -hmm. Um, And people make it out of different things. So you can get one that is made out of like old growth forests that have been illegally harvested uh, or out of like entirely recycled paper. And that might be a consideration for you too when you're thinking about your book. Even if you're self-publishing, even small printers like I get a lot of my mini comics made with a company called Smart Press and you can request a lot of the time like paper samples and a good 
printer will, they won't just send you paper. They'll also have the same thing printed on all the different kinds of paper. Mm -hmm. So you can see exactly how it's going to look. Um, and you should always build time in to do things like requesting samples and whatnot from a printer, especially if you're going to be printing more than like $50 worth of stuff. It can drastically change how something's going to look. Um, and you don't want to spend thousands of dollars on your book and only to have it show up at your house and realize that it's unreadably dark or mm -hmm. you're, you can't read the text because it's bled into the page too much or any number of other things. And publishers are usually pretty good at being like... Yeah, like an actual you know, publisher will book, take care of you. <laughs> this book seems like it will be good on this paper. Um, but if it's something that you're specifically concerned about, if you are going to a publisher and saying, like, I want this book to look like an old-timey diary, so I want kind of a cream stock, and I want something that's, like, textured and toothy, um, you can ask your publisher if they would be willing to do some test proofs and make a, a sample, which is printed on the actual paper, to see if it is any good the way that you're thinking or if you need to be using different kinds of paper And some stock. people have very strong opinions about this. <laughs> and it's okay to have strong opinions about it. It's your book. All right, uh, acknowledgments. Acknowledgments are another part of the book. Um, an acknowledgment or a dedication. It's the way that you as the author get to put a note in the book that says, thank you to the following people who helped me make my book. Um, you don't have to put them in the book, but um, sometimes it's a nice thing to do. And frequently it's split, like in the beginning, they'll have the dedication, which will be like, you know, for my dog or whatever. And then in the back, you'll have acknowledgement. So the dedication is always usually very short and acknowledgement sometimes is longer. Like if you flip all the way to the back and you see like three pages where somebody's explaining how their agent saved their life or something, yes. that'll and be... You can do dedication and acknowledgements of varying lengths. You know, it's your book. Whatever, yeah. whatever works best for you. You don't have to have them at all or you can have them and they can be really long or short. Uh, mechanical, so what do you mean in this case? So a mechanical or a mech is the stage in the book process where the book is all designed. Um, usually with publishers nowadays, it's designed in InDesign. And that set of packaged files is the mechanical. So it's the, like, the digital set of files that is going off to the separator and the printer that make the book. So like the InDesign files and all the fonts and all the yeah. graphics and that whole giant folder of nonsense. Yes. And then once you send them off to the printer, what you get back is proofs. Uh, so proofs, I, we talked about briefly before when we were talking about paper stock and test proofs, but proofs are basically the stage where um, you send the mechanical off to the printer and then you get something back and you say, oh no, for some reason you paid, printed page seven upside down. That does not seem good. Please make it right side up. Or, you know, I looked through this mechanical and the color values are super off from what I was thinking. And so we need to adjust the, um, you know, the colors on the mechanical and do this again. Or I caught a la last copy editing error. Or, you know, what are, what are some exciting proof errors that you have dealt with? And sometimes they're your error. Like sometimes yeah. the yeah. proof is when you notice that you screwed something up. Yeah, you might have set like trapping wrong. You might have whenever you were doing the final, uh, like a uh, pre-flight, you might have, you know, turned off the uh, layer for like the white backgrounds of your text bubbles. Um, mm -hmm. Trapping and so, is. Yes, trapping is a big deal. And that's something that differenti really differentiates. We'll talk more about it later, but yeah. just very briefly. Yeah, that's like a big thing that differentiates like the designer and the pre-press. The pre-press person is making sure that like, all the layers and files and things are separated and ready for like it to be turned into a four color printing process. Those are the kind of things where you catch it before it's fully printed. You usually, unless you're paying for like 
it to be fully printed on the material that it's finally going to be on. Um, it's uh, Xerox proof that basically they just print it out with a few digital passes. Like normally you'll get like one signature of what's referred to as wet proofs that are on the paper stock. And a signature is? And a signature is uh, based on the printer, either 8, 16, or 32 pages. So um, like folded in like a little mini booklet that yep. then gets stacked into a book. Yep. Yeah. So when you have a book, um, you can actually like take any book that you have in your home library off the shelf and you'll see when you look at it from the top the spine will have these little like groupings of pages together and one of those groupings is a signature mm-hmm. generally printed as a giant long sheet and folded up and then cut so the reason they're sticking together is in part because they used to be one sheet of paper yeah and so then you approve that typically uh you know if you're working with on like your own stuff uh or like depending upon the publisher, a proof will come in that's also then the, hey, here's it actually like finally printed. And that's like a folded and gathered. And what it is, is all the pieces, but not glued together and assembled. And so that is the literal last minute, like, oh my God, we totally messed something up. Like we forgot the barcode or something catastrophic because this is gonna cost a lot of money to fix if you have to fix something because everything's already been printed. Um, It's just waiting for them to say, glue it together. And before you get that stage, usually you get a set of blues where your proofs may be from your printer or they may be from your separator and your blues are kind of the last round before they actually start printing the book of just checking one more time. We did this printing. It's probably like really crazy low res and weird looking. We didn't put the first signature at the end, right? Like yeah. just just tell us that and then we'll just get started on the actual printing. Yeah. The, 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 the other term that you'll sometimes see that referred to as that stage is the uh, ozolid. Um, that I've never heard before. Uh, that's the one that I see the most. Um, yeah, it's a, there, there's a bunch of like things like that. I love this but, yeah. yeah, and so sometimes a publisher, after this point when the book is being printed and it's ready to go, will, for marketing reasons, want to make an ARC, an advanced reader's copy, or a galley, or a bound galley to send out for blurbs, to show at early conferences, to basically have a version of the book that they can give people before the actual book is ready. Uh, Various publishers do different things. Some people don't do these at all. Sometimes people do them only digitally. Sometimes people print their books early and have advanced books to show people instead of uh, ARCs or galleys or bound galleys. Uh, So there's a whole variety of things that people can do that are all like good ways to show off advanced material here. Is there actually a difference between those three things or are they different three different words for the same thing? Uh, Generally a bound galley is something that is extremely basic. It has like a plain cover. It's like the like simplest possible version of the book. A galley is the U.S. printed, digitally printed version of the book that says like it's an advanced book, it's not a final book. It may be partially black and white if the full book is in color. Um, And an ARC is the term for like a super designed like spec'd up. So when I say spec, I mean specifications and that means uh, just like extras that you put on the book like foil or stamping or anything like that where sometimes people are like we're so excited about this book that we're going to make a super nice advanced copy to show people for marketing so that they understand how... So you're trying to represent what the book is actually going to look like? Sometimes not. Okay. Sometimes you just want to be like specific advanced publication object is very fancy and exciting. 
in a different way than the final book will be. You have to wait to see the final book because uh, it will be differently exciting. See, I did not actually know that at all. Thank yes. you. I think that, well, I think the problem is a lot of people do use these words interchangeably, mm -hmm. but they're not actually interchangeable, I didn't think. So thank you for explaining that because I definitely have heard people just call it all arcs. Yes. Oh my God, we've... We hit the end of our, our list. Entire list of terms. Um, so, as you can see from that last example, throughout this whole process, there's a lot of terms that mean different things depending on who you're talking to. So, for one thing, somebody might just be wrong. If somebody says something that doesn't make sense, they may actually just be wrong. Sometimes somebody is wrong, or they're tired, or whatever. So, yeah. or. Different publishers use words in different ways. I've had people use publication date and on-sale date. I mean, they, I use them interchangeably, but people use them also to mean different things. Um, so definitely check with the people you're talking to if they use a term that, they, that you don't understand. That is not an atypical thing in the publishing industry. Yeah, like the number one takeaway we really want somebody to have after listening to us talk about terminology for two hours is that you should literally always ask. If you're not completely confident that you know what somebody's talking about. And the more important it is, the more, even if you think you know what they're talking about, you should probably ask anyway, because the consequences for signing a piece of paper that you don't understand everything that's on it, or even for just making an informal agreement, it can cause a lot of problems down the road. If you aren't sure, you should always ask. Anybody who's a jerk to you about asking these kinds of questions, that's a giant red flag, and maybe you should reconsider working with them. Yeah. Because ideally, it's in everybody's best interest for everyone to completely understand the conversation. Indeed. And I know this was basically a little more than an hour of us talking about Oh, terms, no, this was two hours, just to be absolutely clear. Is, okay. <laughs> so this is two hours of us talking about terms. But this is a preliminary conversation about publishing terms. There are actually lots more terms that people use in publishing on a day-to-day -day basis, both of different organizations and processes and different jobs that we didn't go over and all that sort of thing. Some of um, which we'll so, get to later. Indeed. This hopefully was like super useful and helpful for you, but it is not exhaustive. Yes. George, out of curiosity, was there anything that we went over today that you were like, I literally had no idea about that? Because I definitely had a couple where I, th I think I actually shouted for all of them though, so mine are pretty clear. <laughs> um, honestly, I think like the overwhelming majority like i knew of or i knew them by different names so like mechan like mechanical slash mech like that for all the prepest people that i've worked with are all like post the era of having to send your files to someone to get separated like literal plates to send to the printer because that was the thing you had to do was you had to get your plate the, the plates for your different color separations made and then ship to a printer because printers didn't always make plates before the era of digital. And so um, the overwhelming majority of people I work with are like, have been doing stuff post that. And uh, that is definitely a term that like, as soon like I was like, wait, what is that? And then as soon as we start talking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's because of the days whenever there was physical items, whenever there was a literal mechanical process that went into developing this and there was a, object that came out of it it wasn't just like it's on the computer and now it's uploaded the ftp we're done um no i love it it's, yeah. it's so great i love how so many of these terms there's like the history of publishing is kind of built into them like mm -hmm. they don't entirely make sense anymore but especially at a company like mcmillan which has been around for a long time and some of the people have been working there for a long time yeah we call the final uh proof set the blues because it used to come back in blue ink but it mm -hmm. doesn't anymore because like we're not in the stone age <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, that, that would be amazing, though. Yes. 
Now I'm kind of sad that I don't get to see my book in spooky blue version. Yes. Yeah, so kind of ghost world variant. Don't send it up to the printer as a paste up. Like each individual page. <sighs> Remember when we had to like have like cans and cans and cans of spray fixative like all of the time? Yes. Anyway, this is a whole, we could spend an hour just talking about this. George, thank you so much for sitting in a hot apartment and talking to us <laughs> about this ridiculous nerdy stuff for like literally two hours. It's a lot. No, it's a lot, but it's like really, I mean, I don't know, I'm biased, but I've just figured something really interesting. No, I think it all is too. Well, so George, if people want to find you on the internet and at you, where where can you be added? I am at G-R-O-H-A-C at G-Rohack, uh, pretty much everywhere. And um, the management company that I have is Organized Havoc. And does that have a website people can look at? OrganizedHavoc.com. Fancy. Spelled the right way, not the X-Man way. <laughs> okay, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Graphic Novel TK. Yes. Um, we hope your head is now extremely full of publishing terminology. <laughs> and um, if we missed anything you think is really important, please feel free to uh, email or tweet us or whatever, and we'll maybe talk about it in a future m- episode. Mention it at the end of a future episode and do some <laughs> kind of supplementary uh Indeed. And there's more to come from Graphic Novel TK, um, as is evident in the title of the podcast. Um, next episode, we'll be talking oh. about the pitch process. And last, last thing for this episode, what does TK mean? It means to come. And it actually, obviously, to come should be TC, but TC is an abbreviation that means trade cloth, which is the abbreviation for hardcover binding. So they had to change to come to TK because there was already a TC involved earlier in the process. I love it. It's so good. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics, news, and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at GraphicNovelTK or email us at GraphicNovelTK at gmail.com. 